0: I hope I can raise the bar to say, we're not just greasy guys or women. There's a lot of respect that should be given for the trade community in this country. And if COVID taught us anything else, we need it.
1: Welcome to The Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. My guest today is David Endurski, president of Encon, a commercial HVAC company headquartered in central New Jersey and founded by David's father, Marty, in 1968. One of the things I most love about this successful generational business is that David didn't get to the top because of nepotism. He began interning while in high school and experienced every job in the company, learning from the ground up, and took over leadership of Encon in 2000 when revenues were about 3 to 4 million dollars a year. Now, 20 years later, revenues are at 35 million. What a great story. David, welcome.
0: Thank you, Carl. Happy
1: to be here. Yeah, it's, um, I'm really happy to have you. You, you are my first um, owner, president, you know, CEO of a generational business. So I'm really excited to spend some time with you. Tell me a little bit about ENCON.
0: So like you had said, my father started in 1968. Uh, we are a commercial HVAC, full service, self-performing contractor. We serve the better part of New Jersey and we do all aspects of the mechanical and electrical and building automation trade all under our roof. Very, very interesting. So
1: tell me about the genesis of the company and how how and why your dad started it.
0: So my father will tell you the story of he got out of the Army at Army Aviation and was looking for, as he said, the most complicated business he can get into. (laughs) He was always very into the engineering side, Mm -hmm. loved tinkering, but Plumbing electrical in his words were just too easy. Right. So wanted to find something a little more challenging. Fifty some odd years later, I yeah. continually ask him, why'd you choose the most complicated business possible? Um, but the fascinating part about our business is it's every day is different. So every problem we mm-hmm. really need to solve, it's unlike anything else we see before. Um so it really keeps it interesting, keeps it moving, and there are no mm-hmm. two days that are ever the same.
1: Mm -hmm. What makes commercial HVAC so complicated?
0: Unlike electric, you know, unlike do your lights work, is the water hot? Defining Mm -hmm. comfort is so unique to the individual, the space or the process. Um, And because we do a lot of work in laboratories or operating rooms or surgical centers, where, again, it's not just about temperature. It's about humidity or pressure or other critical things that we learn about every day. And it really keeps it interesting, but it really keeps it complicated in the sense of how do we make a big unit fit in a small space? How do we deliver this when the technology is not really ready for it? Or how do we do it when someone just can't afford that level of budget, but they need what they need? That's really interesting.
1: So you mentioned to me earlier that though you're headquartered in central New Jersey, you do most of your business up in North Jersey. How, how, do you, how do you find your business? Does it find you?
0: You know, I think we're, we're in a very fortunate position after all the years that we, are, all our business really comes from our reputation. We're only as truly as good as our last job. Right. We've had a lot of long-term clients going back 20, 30 years. Um, and as their business grows or evolves or as their leadership goes to a different place, we're very fortunate to be brought along with them And when companies you know say hey we've got a problem we've heard about you Uh, you know our questions are who told you and Mm -hmm. you know we're we're in a spot where we have a we have our neat little niche and we really want to be protective of that because it's very complicated what we do Mm -hmm. we need very skilled personnel to do that Mm -hmm. which obviously in today's market is very hard to find Mm -hmm. so we want to be careful who we work for Mm -hmm. um But I'd say most of our stuff just comes through reputation word of mouth.
1: Okay, so since since you brought up, I usually wait uh, wait later on to talk about (laughs) this, but since you brought in uh, up how difficult skilled labor is to find, you grew uh, from COVID from what seventy to about one hundred and forty people that you have now. We did. How did that happen?
0: (laughs) Uh, Part of that was through an acquisition that was actually really superseded. Um. COVID, we were looking at partnering with an electrical firm to put that under our roof to really be a full. Um, And, you know, when COVID happened, the deal was just about dead. And I spoke to Dennis and said, look, you know, there's a lot of risk and a lot of opportunity in front of us. Mm -hmm. Let's just do it. And uh, we were able to come to the right meetings and, and we did. And although, you know, COVID, we... It's, it's been very tough on all of us yeah, and especially in our space, our governor mm-hmm. never shut us down. We were deemed a critical, right, critical workforce from day mm-hmm. one. So it was very essential, hard yeah. to mm-hmm. make sure mm-hmm. We were essential. yes. Thank you for, um, to make sure we had the right masks and the right gloves and in the world of uncertainty and continue to grow through that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it was very complicated to when the world was saying, stay home and we were deemed essential saying, Hey, we got to go out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and we were very fortunate to acquire, like, say, a great organization with great people mm-hmm. and then some tremendous opportunities. And some, some of our competition in our space couldn't um, keep their doors open. So, we were able to just pick up some extra work. Mm-hmm. But keeping that skilled force together and cohesive in our company is a, such a core value of who we are.
1: Good. How many, how, when you acquired this electrical company, how many employees did you acquire, David? About 18. Okay. So that would take you up to almost 90. And how did you now get up to 140? <laughs> like- so that,
0: that business really, really skyrocketed. So we were able to go to our existing client base and say, okay, we can now offer Got it. all of this with one contract, sure. one single point of contact, And it's really a need that we felt was really vital to, to our success. And, um, We've had opportunities now. The electrical group brings on work for the mechanical group. The mechanical mm-hmm. groups open tremendous doors for our electrical group.
1: So I'm going to
0: say we're about 40 people in that group now. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, it's grown.
1: I mean, you're not an electrical expert, correct?
0: <laughs> I am personally not an electrical expert. Okay.
1: So do you have somebody else running that division for you?
0: We do. And, and I'll tell you, Carol, I'm, I am not a skilled person like of our field, Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up with them. And I said, when I, you know, when I started, I'm a really good helper. Mm -hmm. I can go get you things. I can think about things, but if you want me to perform this task, I'll never be what you are. Right. So we've got some really competent mechanics, technicians out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's true with the electrical space. I understand enough to be dangerous in it, um, but we've got, you know, at the size we are now, it really, and I say this in wherever I speak these days or whatever I do. It's about the team. Yeah, I'm really good at what I do, yeah. and I'm really bad at a lot of things. And I've got the right talent mm-hmm. to make sure they're really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. And I no longer try to be the expert of any of it. I just try to make sure I surround myself with some really smart people.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean I think that's what that's what the smartest leaders all do is surround yourself with people <laughs> who are smarter than you in many areas, right?
0: Yes, for sure.
1: How did you culturally get this other company to mesh with yours? That's one of the biggest problems when companies acquire other companies.
0: Yes. And we had our share of parking lot meetings. We've had (laughs) our share. So I will tell you this Sunday, we have our first cohesive family picnic, which we had to shut down last year. We had to have a virtual town hall last year. So Sunday will be the first time we're all together. Mm Mm-hmm. New Jersey, the God, you know, the, the weather gods of, you know, New Jersey summer right now. It's eighty degrees. Wow. So we're very fortunate to not be dealing with a monsoon. Mm-hmm. So we've tried. We've done it in small group units. We've had, but getting everyone together has not been able to happen. Great. Right. We, we were supposed to have an event a few weeks ago. We, we do different team building ones. We were supposed to do a bowling event that we mm-hmm. canceled because the thought of putting one hundred and twenty people inside a bowling alley. Yeah, and, right, you know, not real appetizing. Uh, like, no, and, and it's concerning because, you know, we, we we all have to perform our jobs mm-hmm. and we all have to be responsible and healthy. So how have we done it? Carefully, strategically, but not as a mm-hmm. whole group that I would like to. In fact, we're, Sunday everyone's going to have different colored name tags to at least know what division they work for.
1: Yeah, that's um, great.
0: So at least we can identify in a silly manner, hi, mm-hmm. I'm John and I work for the electrical group. Hi, John, I'm Bill, and I work for the Mechanical Group. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've heard your name, but I haven't met you yet.
1: That's so awesome. Keep
0: it light and fun that way.
1: Yeah, I bet you're super, super excited to get that to get that underway this weekend.
0: 100%.
1: Yeah, yeah, I imagine. How many people are you expecting?
0: Sorry, I think our headcount, because this is a spouse family event, so we're yeah, going to sure. be about 175 I great Um, that's awesome and even that i think it's great that we get at least you know meet meet the significant others Mm -hmm. of of our Mm -hmm. workers and Mm -hmm. i'm a big believer it's important that everyone gets to socialize in a non-work setting once in a while because you know we live in a stressful business and that's challenging sometimes Mm
1: -hmm. you you were talking a little bit about about some other companies going out of business last year which of course has happened all over the country and what do you think, I mean, can you even speculate what it might have been about their businesses that had them not be able to survive COVID and, and what it was about your business that had you survive COVID
0: and grow? Yeah, Carol, I think a lot of the New Jersey mechanical HVAC contractors, a lot of them were my father's generation, yeah, and they started in the you know late 60s, early 70s, and you know many of them were very successful, but they didn't have a succession plan, mm-hmm. so they said, you know what, we're, we're okay. We're going to use an exit strategy now, Mm -hmm. whether they sold it to Consolidator, you know, a third party firm, private equity or something. And they just said, it's time, you know, life's been Mm -hmm. good to me. I'm in a good spot. I don't need to do this. I don't want to try to live through whatever the next chapter is going to be. And I don't have, you know, a good succession plan. So I'm going to exit. So there was a fair amount of that that happened in our marketplace.
1: I am so glad you mentioned that because succession planning is one of my big things that I talk to, to talk to people about, you know, whether you're in a family business or a publicly traded company or anything, it is so critical to the success of your business, you know, unless you want it to just go out of business, right?
0: It is. And, and, you know, in a generational business, you know, if my father was present with me right now, I tell him the same thing. It is harder on generation one to make a generation business transfer of power right. than it was on me. Yeah. Because um, I had to take. tell my father, your baby's not ugly, but we want to do it differently. And if he's not willing to give me that control and, and autonomy, it can never succeed.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. So
0: do you have, do you have sole ownership of the
1: company? Do you give, you know, any kind of benefits to your employees that have been with you, pension plans or, you know?
0: So on the employee side, yeah, I think we try to do a very good job, especially being a non-mechanical mm-hmm. in, in, in this state. We offer full medical. Uh, we have a 401k with a pretty aggressive um, matching component to it. Right we you know our PTO policies are you know evolve every day um mm-hmm. but we we try to be best in class in all those categories yeah. you know we you know we want to attract retain and That's right. and even on the employee side we have a lot of people here long before me so yeah. I am on board now 25 years we have mm-hmm. two gentlemen with us 40 years mm-hmm. um that we're talking now about retirement for them we're like who's going to remember what happened here in 1983 right um and, and that you know that culture was created long well before I got here. The fact that we were able to keep and retain people in a very highly competitive um, talent marketplace where Great. they can all park park their vehicles and get a job tomorrow somewhere else. So we work hard to make sure we keep that environment healthy for them.
1: good well that's and that's that's you know that's part that's one of my other pieces that i talk about you know we talk about succession strategies retention strategies right development strategies so let's let's talk a little bit about your retention strategies you know having those having those things in place that you talked about are all really wonderful ways to do that but what do you do about leadership development in those types of strategies? You know, I mean, are, are, do you have, you've got all these people out in the field, you know, do they have, I assume they have a manager that they report to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is that? what does your org structure look like for people who might want to move up?
0: So I will tell you, you know, the growth has really created opportunities for a lot of the younger people here. Um, so we're not growing for growth's sake, we're growing, A, we've got good opportunities, but it's also created a lot of career paths for people that say, hey, how do I become a project manager? How do I become an estimator? Or someday, I don't wanna work with the wrenches or the tools forever. What does that path look like? And in terms of management team, I learned a long time ago, we outsource. We Mm -hmm. outsource our training. We spend a lot of money on training and our budget on technical training and our budget on staff training and the soft skills and the computer skills, um, I learned through some very successful people that having a coach is mm-hmm. vitally important. Yep. And growing from eight million to fifteen million was really, really hard. But mm-hmm. if you have cracks in that foundation, you can never get to twenty. Mm-hmm. And we had we've had our share of pain. But bringing in outside outside talent as mentors, as leaders. We've hired coaches for our senior leaders. Wonderful. Hey, go train, go learn, because, you know, I know what I know, but I'm focused on my path right now. Mm-hmm. And saying that you're going to go work with some really smart consultants or co- coaches, mm-hmm. whatever we mm-hmm. call them nowadays, you know, hey, here's some books for you. Here's some audible things to listen to. Mm-hmm. And let's start bringing it into our practice, you know, little things that matter. Yeah, I agree. Uh, And, and unfortunately we've outgrown some people and, you know, talent, we, we've had some great people that Mm -hmm. at 8 million, they they were tremendous for us. They worked really hard, but they couldn't fill the shoes of what was needed. And that's not a knock on anybody.
1: No, it's, it's Um, just, it's, it's, it happens naturally. Yeah. You know, as a company evolves and grows and matures and, you know, when you're talking about coaching and consulting. One of the biggest challenges is getting the people who are in your current leadership orbit, they don't all want coaching and they don't all want consulting. And I've had this conversation with more founders than I can imagine, but I had one particularly with somebody who was on my podcast and he said, "I'd, I'd love to bring you in to do this kind of work for us. And I said, well, you know, let's talk about that because you have to have everyone on your team has to be open to it. <laughs> and if they're not, then, then we have a problem, right? You can't, you cannot get through alignment without that.
0: We, we cannot, the term we use around here is directionally correct. And, right? you know, unless we're all doing it the same thing, yep. maybe you're, and look, they're tough conversations to say, you're really good at this role, but maybe yep. you shouldn't be part of the leadership team. Mm-hmm. And, and roll people in and out, that's which right. isn't a bad thing either. And making sure that everyone's egos are in alignment. And that's right. Because you, so some people are great salespeople, but they don't want to be a sales manager. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That's right. And they, some
1: shouldn't be a sales manager. You know, often yeah. companies promote people into management that have no business being there. Or or they just put them there because they were such a great individual contributor and then there there's no support at how to be a leader or coaching on how to be a leader. None of that. And that's a problem. Then you're gonna have a failure. And you know, failures cost money. And and I think when you when you move people out, David, um, the important thing, and it sounds like this is your strategy and I'm curious to hear about that, is that you really make sure you take care of that person. It's not just bye bye, thanks for your service.
0: We try to and, and someone told me years ago that no one should be fired as a surprise.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that I agree. If you're not talking and, and, and forgetting, you know, uh, theft or anything, you know. Yeah. yeah. that of you that. Know.
1: For but, cause. Yeah. Firing for cause. If you're looking
0: at yeah. someone and saying, hey, you know, here are things that we need you to improve on. Here's mm-hmm. a 30-day plan. Here, and, and it's not silly, but people need to be reminded of what they're doing well at, where they need improvement. Right. And having those honest conversations where it's not, so threatening. We've had, you know, we, I said we've had one person here 43 years. Hmm. Avery has sat in probably seven or eight different seats. Mm-hmm. As he's grown, he was, he was, and there were spots that he didn't fit in. So mm-hmm. we moved him around. We, we have a boomerang program that we have here that if someone leaves for a different opportunity that we can't offer at that time, and mm-hmm. they leave the right way, prefer, that they're allowed back. Mm-hmm. we've had a few people come back in spots that they <laughs> now are excelling in spots that we never could have imagined before. We had them in the wrong seat on the bus before, but we didn't have the opportunity for them. So, you know, through social media, a lot of people mm-hmm. still, you know, on the team, they, they, are, they all have contact with each other. And then all of a sudden it's, wait, we're looking for someone in that role. Wait, so-and-so is here before Right. we're still talking. Their skill sets would be amazing in that
1: role yeah very smart
0: very smart come back and really excelled
1: Mm -hmm. that's really fantastic so i I want to spend a minute talking about you've probably heard all the all the the facts and figures or the figures around uh so many generational businesses failing right and 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 most of those were based on a study done in 1980 where it said uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of one third, don't make it through, through to the end of the second generation. And then it goes down from there in the third and then the fourth. But uh, Harvard Business Review just published a study in July of this year. And I'm gonna quote something that they said, family ownership brings a competitive advantage in situations that demand resiliency rather than rapid growth. Family businesses with owners close to the business can adapt quickly to changing circumstances and balance the imperatives of navigating through the current crisis with the implications for the long-term in mind." And it sounds like that's what you have done so far, yeah?
0: Yes, and again, Carol, I'm gonna go back to you. I give all the credit to my father on this conversation, because yeah. mm-hmm. I know a lot of people and through a lot of other peer organizations that I'm part of it, very heavily based in the generational business, the generation mm-hmm. one is not allowing generation two to do it. Yeah. Their way. Whatever mm-hmm. their way might right. be, but it's different. And it, it creates turmoil in the business. Mm-hmm. It creates turmoil. You know, I say I'm very, very fortunate that we enjoy Thanksgiving dinner together and we work together. Right. There's a lot of people in generational businesses that can't do both. Right. They work together, but they yeah. can't see each other out of work. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I'm privileged enough to have an 83 year old father that comes to work every day. Yeah. The running joke in the, fu- in the family is my mother says, I can't fire him because she'll kill him.
1: Um, <laughs> right. Well, let keeps him out of the house and out of her hair
0: <laughs> full time. You know right. <laughs> I put a lot, there's a lot of young talent that we have that's emerging in the space that I say, just go listen to him. Listen mm-hmm. to him. My father's got just absorb that wisdom that he's got. Yeah. And he's great at things and he's still very, very talented and it's a pleasure to work with him. So in terms of finding that work-life balance in a generational business Mm -hmm. where generation one is willing to allow it to happen a little differently is really the magic sauce in my opinion.
1: Mm -hmm. So you have two boys. Uh, Do you think either of them will learn this business or, you know, what happens, you know, what's your succession planning for generation three if you have one? Or, or are you thinking, you know, I'll just sell the company. <laughs> it's worth a lot more than it was.
0: I, I, have a young, I have the two boys in Colorado that I've talked about, and I've got a 10-year-old at home. Ah. So I don't know. Uh, do I see the two older boys coming back? I, what I'd really like to do is at the size we are is let it be corporately run but family-owned. Mm-hmm. And smart. we still like to look at ourselves as, you know, the real family-owned business. My father's here, I'm here you. You can walk into any of our doors and Mm -hmm. open it at any moment. Mm -hmm. There's things that we have to do now in the world that we live in on the corporate side, whether it's HR, whether it's things to protect Mm -hmm. both the staff and the corporation. That's making us a little bit more rigid, Mm -hmm. but we really fight very hard every day for the Mm -hmm. flexibility that makes us who we are. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like going forward? Look, I'm 50. I'm 51. I should say, um, I'm going to be here for a long time. So, you know, my job is different today than it was th- 20 years ago with the staff that we have. Mm-hmm. But we still love it. You still get to yeah. come to work and say, "What's our problem today? How are we going to mm-hmm. solve this?" Right. What you know, COVID's created obviously a lot of discussion in the indoor air quality space. Mm-hmm. Created some opportunities, but it's mm-hmm. also allowed allowed us to solve a lot of. Yeah. Business problems on how they can reopen private schools, public schools, what sure. technology. So that part of it is incredibly fascinating.
1: Yeah, you know, I remember when when I worked in an office, which I haven't done since 2002, and and I've, I've always been super healthy, but working in a hermetically sealed building with mm-hmm. crappy ventilation, everybody gets somebody gets sick in the office, everybody gets sick in the office, right? And if, if COVID has taught us anything, it is that that's really important. Not just COVID, forget about that. People who have the flu and come to work or they don't know they have the flu and they come to work or they've got a terrible cold and they've got their hands all over everything. I mean, this is, you know, what, what you're talking about is I think uber important at keeping people healthy. And, and you know, anybody healthy that like me does not work from home.
0: <laughs> right. So, you know, a lot of the practices that became mainstream media you know, in the operating rooms and spaces that we lived in every day Mm -hmm. were normal course of business for us. So we'd be, you know, we were an expert in that to begin with, and this just kind of modernized it and publicized a lot of it. That's great. So, David, you've
1: had a a, a real, obviously, a huge impact on the company over the past 20 years. Can you say what impact or do you, you know, what kind of an impact have you had on your industry?
0: You know, I'd like to think we do a good job of raising the bar yeah um there's a lot of you know in the trades generally there's a there's not a lot of respect for what what happens out there yeah. um these men and women they work really really hard mm-hmm. they should be able to a have the wages to, to um be rewarded for what they do right. you know our service technicians are they're, they're as much computer it people as they are compressor changers mm-hmm. and finding that skilled talent especially right. in the younger force. I'd love nothing more that, to hope that influencing the next generation to say, you know, an IT or a finance role, and especially in this part of New Jersey where we have a lot of, you know, a lot of Wall Street, yeah, a lot of New York City influence, mm-hmm. it's something to be proud of, you know, mm-hmm. to take pride saying I went there and it was broken, and when I left, I fixed their heat, their cooling, their their problem, and mm-hmm. and having pride in that, I hope I can raise the bar to say, we're not just greasy guys or women that you know. That's right. Come home, come home. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of respect that should be given for the trade community in this country. Right. And if COVID taught us anything else, we need it. Yeah. We need boots on the ground. You know, the mm-hmm. only way to fix this is to do it and working hard for working hard for a day's pay. Is something I'm yeah. very very proud of. I agree.
1: I agree. And and you know, it's interesting that you talk about that because so often. I mean, I've seen it and I just don't get it. You know, people who are in, you know, white collar businesses treat people in blue collar businesses like they're lower. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I'll tell you, if if it were me, I wouldn't work with those people ever again, being treated like that. Nobody deserves to be treated like that regardless. You want your problem solved? The, everyone I talk to, and primarily I'm, I'm, I'm talking to tech founders and CEOs, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it, Every single one of them is solving a problem that needs to be solved, yep. and that's exactly what you're doing, right? People have a problem that needs to be solved and if you're if you're solving that, then you know that people have to understand that, and you're talking about paying your people well is just uber important again, that's all part of your retention strategy right
0: hundred percent and again i I hope that it's not all about case.
1: money but but it's important.
0: Look, it's very important that people have financial stability. That's right. And be able to we work in a dangerous field. Mm-hmm. People get hurt. Really. And look you know, one of our other core values is safety. We we spend a lot of money and a lot of resources to make sure people are safe. Yeah. In order to do that, we need to train, we need to do all those things along the way. And for that they should be able to earn, you know, a very nice income that they can take take their family on vacation. Mm-hmm. earn where, where they're taking you know a few days off and not worrying about how they're paying their bills next week mm-hmm. where they're not so hand-to-mouth or paycheck, mm-hmm. paycheck you know we talked about our 401k program we do a 25 percent match for every dollar they put in so Fantastic. I, it, it, it's very unheard of in today's world to do that, and we encourage mm-hmm. it every day mm-hmm. especially with the younger generation you know one thing my father instilled upon me is you got to max it out every day mm-hmm. and you know, figure out your cost of living based on that. Cause yeah. 20, 30 years compounding interest, you can never make that time up mm-hmm. and it's the way to really set yourself up. So we even do that. We do financial planning for the guys or, and women, you know, we bring in our people and say, listen to them, go meet with them, have mm-hmm. these conversations because it, it's as important to not do your craft as to set up your finances. So you can retire. So you're not here 20 years and say, what am I doing? You know, what does right. tomorrow look like? You mm-hmm. you you look at your your account, and you're like, wow, mm-hmm. I accomplished something. I'm in a good spot.
1: And well, I want to talk a little bit about you. You've mentioned the trouble at acquiring talent. It's not just your businesses everywhere <laughs> acquiring great talent, right? Um, but but especially when you're in such a specific trade like you are, I would think that if you're doing this well, people would be banging down your doors. Now, of course. You know, we all know, I always refer to it as post and pray, right? You post an ad <laughs> and who, who, who responds? People looking for a job, right? So tell me about how how you actually go about acquiring talent and what that looks like.
0: Our most successful um, plan is referral-based. Yeah, We do a very heavy payment structure mm-hmm. for people that bring in people they know firsthand, that knows the trade, knows the craft, um, that's our first. Sure. Our second, we want young. Yeah, give us the right attitude, culture of someone that's you know just learning at, at a vocational mm-hmm. school, mm-hmm. At a trade school, or in another craft that says I right. want to learn this. One one advantage I think we have now with some of the mass is we've got a lot of journeymen that are so willing to train younger people.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. They need to be
0: willing to show up. Yep, be trainable. Mm -hmm. and want to learn yeah from that I tell everyone that has an opportunity to get in the door all you can do is listen Mm -hmm. show up work hard do all the right things the money will come the opportunities will come Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of smart people here that'll teach you yeah and I'd rather grow someone yeah you know if you look at the longevity of the company yeah you know homegrown has always been a better success model Mm -hmm.
1: yeah well you know, to, to what we've been talking about. I think that's, that's really great. So 140 people at the company, tell me what percentage is women. <laughs> um, I imagine it's not, you know, given the nature of what you do, it's not huge, but.
0: No, well, I'm the t- on the office side, le- leadership team, uh, Michelle is now on our leadership team. That It's been great that she's trans- transitioned into that role in the office. It's probably about a third of us. So it's okay, actually not tw- bad. Um, mm-hmm. In the field, yeah. you know, um, we're, we're unfortunately currently not in a, and, and again, you go, go backwards in time. The yeah. world of trade school
1: mm-hmm. was
0: never geared towards- For, trade
1: women, trade. for females, right. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And, and, you know, I'd love to see it. I think there are some tremendous attributes. We just hired one of our first women salespeople,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: young incredibly talented but i will tell you carol she came from a supply house where she's incredibly knowledgeable she yeah. knows the product she knows the industry she knows this and she's going to do tremendous work yeah. you know super excited about it mm-hmm. um you know chrissy who supports all the project managers getting her the path if she wants to be a pm or a junior mm-hmm. it's there for her mm-hmm. so we encourage it we welcome it mm-hmm. You know, in um, one of my trade organizations, one of my peer groups, we had a diversity and inclusion conversation meeting this mm-hmm. morning about how one of the people spoke that New Jersey's 45 um, <clears> percent. <throat> the the percent of DI for, for the, the organization we're in, we're so under the national average. Mm-hmm. And we've committed money, resources, and talent mm-hmm. to change that yeah. and really focus to make sure you know we're doing the right part as a good corporate citizen.
1: Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. But what are you doing proactively, right, to, you know, like you said it, you're you're in a trade that that has been historically male. You know, I just recently, uh, last time I had my appliance repair people out, this and this guy's a genius. He's unbelievable. He had a he had somebody he was training that was a woman, and I was thrilled when she came in with him. And I, I, you know, I think that women can do these jobs. I mean, women have a, in my opinion, not that men don't, but women have a a way of being really attention to detail. Sometimes that men don't have, you know, men tend to look at the bigger picture and I'm wondering what you're doing. If you're doing anything to actually proactively go out and find people at companies Mm-hmm. And think, you know what? Th- this this kind of background could be fantastic in our XYZ organization. Let let's go out and coach them and and to have a conversation.
0: On the proactive side, yeah. like, to your point, on the um, the accounting side, the administrative side of our business, that you know that's where our, our pool of females, of course, yeah, are that's right common. Now. In yeah. terms of the trade schools. Mm-hmm. You know, we sit on the boards of a lot of our local trade schools awesome. and that's our feeding ground. Good. So we kind of need that attraction to happen there. Yes. Um, but if someone came in and said, you know, my, my daughter, or my niece, my, my neighbor's friend, you know, wants to learn on the trade. Our doors are always open for them. Mm-hmm. We welcome it. We encourage it. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, of all race and nationality, and we, sure. we really want the young, motivated people for it. Yeah. But we need, I think we really need it to happen in the high school levels um, where where it's culturally acceptable to, you know, for for that female to say, I'm going to go to a trade Mm -hmm. school Mm -hmm. and not be looked at in the wrong thing. Because you know what? I'm going to learn to trade. I'm always going to have a job. I'm going to make a great living. I'm Mm going to be able to work my eight, nine hours a day, have a family life, and fix things in my house. (laughs) You know, they're all great assets Mm -hmm. and attributes. Once we get past the stigma, I think as a country, we're we're well past, you know, the the stigmification of, you know, I'm I'm a female, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not, you know, especially in the commercial world, we use many things where, you know, we're not using brute strength to pick things up. Right. I think in our space now, people are working more with their brains than with their muscles. Um, And I think it's a tremendous opportunity now for females to get into our trade space, um and and it's funny because even with we we do building automation the computer skill sets that it takes to do this and the ability to problem solve and think through problems Mm -hmm. um, with today's technology is very different than it once was and i'd welcome encourage and in fact based on this inspired to go talk to some of the trade schools to see how we could be more involved as better corporate citizens Mm -hmm. and see where we could be more impactful on this conversation
1: yeah that that's that's actually fantastic,
0: so if somebody you know if if a
1: woman you know was thinking about and this might be something kind of interesting, you know what do you suggest they do
0: you know I think it depends on where they're in life I, I think trade school is so important yeah um, there's so much fundamentally that's important to the to learning to being successful in this business over time that mm-hmm. knowing that trade school is a great opportunity mm-hmm. for that, and if they have the opportunity we could, they can could work. You know, for a company in the space, mm-hmm. and do some trade school or stuff yeah. online or at night. Um, you know, I know for us, we have programs where any we pay for a hundred percent of someone's industry education. Wonderful. So if someone's motivated to learn and progress, um, look, we could teach in house, but there's only so much you know you could do in yeah. the forty hour a week. Yeah. So if people are willing to go to a Lincoln Tech or a DeVry, and there's some mm-hmm. great vocational programs by us, we mm-hmm. pay for it. We pay a hundred percent of it.
1: So if somebody listening, male, female, whomever, uh, says, wow, I, you know, this is a business that I'm interested in. This is something, I, or this is something I've been doing. How do they get in contact with you? What do you suggest they do?
0: So our website, um, I'm on LinkedIn under David and Dursky. Um, N-Con has a LinkedIn page as well, or our website, com Okay. And I think we're pretty uh, pretty findable out there in, in today's world, Carol.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's 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 important. Well, David Andersky, um, president and owner of Encon. Uh, thanks so much. This has been really an interesting conversation, and uh, gosh, I've learned a lot.
0: <laughs> well, Carol, I appreciate the time, and we were excited to be part of it, and thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevationcom slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag